Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. So guys, we're just so honored to be here. We were here uh, doing a prophetic training this weekend. Um, It was actually a prophetic identity camp or heavenly identity camp. How many of you guys would agree that there there is an identity crisis in our generation today? And instead of being protesters of what's happening, we need to learn to be prophetic reformers by going into the system and honestly declaring who God says they are. I believe the answer, the heavenly solution to the identity crisis is actually releasing the heavenly identity of what God says over people and discovering it ourselves. And so this is something that we got to dive in this weekend. We had a great time, a great showing. And so today what we're going to do is I'm going to speak probably Probably for about the first half hour or so, Daniel's going to come up and correct any heresies that I share. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. No. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do a little tag teaming. We don't often get to do that. But we do have um, a few resources in the back I just want to make you aware of. Uh, Dano did write over 25 books, and um, this is one of his uh, really powerful ones. It's called Basic Training for Prophetic Activation. I think there's over 65 prophetic activations. Is that right? I can't read that. 62. There's 62 prophetic activations in here, and um, it goes through the biblical basis of everyone. It teaches you how you can start activating the prophetic in your own life. So if this is something that you're hungry to learn how to do practically, this is a really powerful resource for you. And this is my most recent book, uh, The God Connection. is actually a best-selling book. And um, this is about the 12 ways that you are hardwired to be able to recognize and respond to the voice of God. Do you know that, that every person on the planet, their physical being, their emotional, and your spiritual being is literally hardwired to be able to recognize God's voice and respond to him? And, and part of the problem can be so we just don't know all the ways that God is speaking. And so because God is so creative, there's he speaks creatively, but we are actually wired to receive from his voice. And so this really demystifies some of the ways that God is speaking to us and how we can proactively partner with his voice. So if you guys want those, I think we have a few of those resources in the back. Okay. So again, my name is Bethany Hicks. I'm co-founder of Prophetic Company, and we have a mission and a mandate to rewrite what the prophetic can look like in our generation. And we have trainers, and between us, we have trained thousands of people on over six, on, on six continents to recognize and respond to the voice of God. And I'm coming to you today as an equipping prophet because I have a passion to see every single promise that God has given you come to life, come to fulfillment. Amen? Are you guys excited about that? Okay, that's what I, yeah, okay. So we have three values. I'm going to share real briefly our three values um, in Prophetic Company, and then I'm going to share uh, a bit more about the message today. So our first valuable uh, value is accessibility. And accessibility, we believe every person can prophesy. Okay, in Joel 2.28, it says that God poured out his spirit on all flesh so that your sons and your daughters can prophesy. Do you realize that the requirement for prophecy is not some kind of spiritual pedigree? 
It's not for those that are leaders. It's not those that have been saved for a really, really long time. Do you know the qualifier to be able to prophesy and being filled with the spirit of God is flesh? Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, you got a lot of flesh. It's one of the only times you can kind of get away with saying that. (laughs) But again, I want to make the point here because a lot of times we see people and the prophets come into town and we think prophecy is for them. Guys, in the Old Testament, God did speak through prophecies, uh, prophets. Prophets were his mouthpiece. But in the New Testament, every son and daughter can now be his mouthpiece. Every son and daughter can prophesy. Um, our second value and I'm, is diversity, which means that God speaks to us in many ways. And there's many ways that we can release his voice into the earth. A prophetic word is just one way. We can do prophetic acts, prophetic songs, prophetic intercession, the written word, prophesy with the written word. And so again, diversity is a very powerful value that God has. And then the third and final value, which is kind of where I'm going to focus today, is accountability. Now, we judge and we act on prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Do not despise prophecies. Hold fast to what is good. See, once a word has been tested, okay, we like to say it like this, that in a prophetic exchange, the receiver is as powerful as the giver. That alone will shift a prophetic culture right there, you guys. Because too many times we have not understood that actually it's not only permission for the receiver, you actually have a responsibility to test and judge every prophetic word. But once the word has come, what do you do with it? James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And, you know, we all get really excited when we receive a prophetic word. Now, let me just clarify, because I don't know if everybody's on the same page with me here about what prophecy is. Simply put, we would define prophecy as God speaking his will, his thoughts, his great heart towards another person. Yeah, through a person to another person. So prophecy is just God revealing his good thoughts, his heart, his will for us, right? So he's revealing his promises. So We all get excited when we get a prophetic word, which we should, right? How many of people in this room right now have promises that have yet to be fulfilled? I mean, really, every hand should be up, right? Because every one of us still have promises and calling. You know, what if if you're not waiting on heaven for those promises to be fulfilled? What if heaven's waiting on you? Okay, I'm going to talk today about four responses that we often get, uh, we often have to receiving a prophetic word. So it's kind of like, I've received a prophetic word, now what? Okay, what am I going to do now that I've received a prophetic word? So there's kind of four responses that I can see uh, in in the scripture and in life. The first one um, is providence, okay? Providence. This is when God sovereignly makes a word come to pass. So this is when you receive a word and within the language of the word, God is saying he is going to do something. He is going to sovereignly come and, and, and make something happen, come to fulfillment in your life that you really don't have any control over, right? And I think the problem with, 
with providence is I think a lot of times we think that that's the rule, but it's actually the exception. I would say maybe within, within prophetic promises that are given, maybe like 30%, 20% of a word given is actually providence or sovereign. Let me give you an example in scripture of somebody who received a providence word. So Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, when the angel of the Lord appeared to her, and he said, oh, you know, a, a woman of favor, you're going to carry the son of God. We're going, you know, the, you're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. You're going to give birth to a son, right? So here's Mary who's receiving this word, okay? This, think about this, you guys. She's like us. She just received a prophetic promise, right? Now, Mary on her best day could never get pregnant on her own, Right? <laughs> God had to sovereignly, providentially come upon her to make that happen. So that's an example of a sovereign prophetic word. Now, he still needed her agreement. He was not going to force that will. Remember, he needed her agreement. She gave her agreement when she said, let it be unto me according to your word. That was her adding her yes to her, her amen to what God was, was promising over her. Amen? Okay, so that's the first response. It does happen, that providence, but it's not as common as you would think. The second response to a prophetic promise is passivity. And this is where you receive a word and do absolutely nothing with it. So where you're walking around, you collect all your words, you put it on the pantry of promises in the back shelf, you know, hoping that someday God's going to do his thing. And, you know, I think part of it, again, is because we think that God is like this genie in a bottle or something where if we get a promise, then he's just going to make it happen. But what happens is if, when we don't understand that we have actually responsibility with the prophetic words that we receive, we'll put them on the shelf. And then what often happens is when they don't come to pass, we get disappointed or we get mad at God and then we begin to despise prophecy. Well, God didn't do that for me. I don't think prophecy's real because I got words and none of them came true. See, this is what happens when we don't actually have an understanding of how to appropriately respond to a prophetic promise. So those are the first two, providence, passivity, and our third is presumption, okay? This is a third response to a prophetic promise. Now, this is where I believe a lot of people can get stuck because, um, because I get it. Like you, you receive a prophetic word and you're like, I don't want to go outside of God. I don't want to get ahead of him. And, and so as a result, what happens is you end up not moving at all. Right? And I just want to clarify biblically what presumption is. Um, an example of this in Numbers 14 uh, is when the, the 12 spies were sent out. We all know the story. They come back, they believe the evil report of the 10 spies, right? And so what happens is God tells this entire generation of Israelites, is like, okay, you are now not going into the promised land, and you're going to spend 40 years in the desert. So the Israelites did not like option B anymore. And so they decided, oh, you know what? 
We are going to go to the promised land. We are going to go take this land for our own. And so then they go up and then Moses tells them explicitly, do not go for the Lord is not with you. So in Numbers 14, 42 uh, or 44, it says this, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country. So they went up to the hill country. They got beat back down. So guys, biblically, when someone acted presumptuously, it wasn't because God told them to do something and they acted on it to the best of their ability. Biblically, presumption is when God said yes and you say no. It's when God said left and you say right. It's actually doing the direct opposite of what God had said for you to do. And again, why does this matter? Because I believe so many of us have received prophetic words and we're so afraid of just stepping ahead of God or making something happen that it will paralyze us from seeing those promises fulfilled. We think that presumption is, presumption is not receiving a word from God and acting to the best of your ability. God calls that partnership. And so the fourth response, and this is where we're going to land here for the next few minutes. Oh, I've got time. Yeah. Is partnership. One of the things we, we like to say is that because God's value is relationship, his methodology is partnership. See, partnering with God's word, God's promises over your life is so much more, you guys, than just receiving a word. That is just the beginning. Honestly, it's like, it's like you've just been given a key, but you have to put it in the door and unlock it to step into seeing that promise fulfilled. I want to share a biblical example that when I first read this, it kind of like rocked my world about prophetic partnership. And I actually shared it for the first time at School of the Prophets in uh, Redding, California a couple years ago. But um, I'm going to share a story. It's going to be out of the Old Testament and it's, it's a little bit PG-13, but I think you guys, it'll be, it's Old Testament, right? So I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you right now. And this is, uh, it's with Jehu. Now, Jehu is the commander of the armies of Israel, one of the commanders of the armies of Israel. He was under Ahab and Jezebel, right? The very, very wicked king and queen. And now he's currently commander under their son, Joram, okay? So then in this context, um, Elisha, who's currently the prophet during this time, he sends one of the young company of prophets to go anoint Jehu, king of Israel, okay? So, so let me read to you right now. I'm just going to read from 2 Kings 9, uh, verses 4 through 13. And I want you guys to catch this story, okay? So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us, asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. So Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants shed by Jezebel. 
The whole house of Ahab will perish. I know, I told you it was Old Testament. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. You know, I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. Don't you love that the Bible includes little details like that? Like you, literally, he just dropped a bomb of a prophetic word that literally was treacherous. It was, made him a traitor. And so he shares this and then he opened the door and ran. Okay, so think of this, you guys. In this context, Jehu received a prophetic word, right? Obviously it's Old Testament, but there is a word that God said, he said, you are going to be king and there's an assignment attached to you being king. Your assignment is to completely destroy the wicked lineage of Ahab and Jezebel, right? So here he is, he received a promise just like we receive a promise, right? And so after this time, Jehu goes back out, meets with his friends. They said, what did this crazy prophet say? And then he told them, and then they immediately, they're like, long live the king Jehu. Like they immediately stepped into this. So the Bible records that him and his comrades started to basically uh, make blueprints to go after, to be able to fulfill this assignment. So he goes out immediately. He goes out to meet Joram. Okay, Joram is Ahab and Jezebel's wicked son. He's currently king. And he goes out to meet Joram on the field. Joram comes out like, do you come in peace, Jehu? And Jehu's like, how can there be peace with the idolatries and the wickedness of your mother, right? So Joram knows he's in trouble. So these guys meet out on this field and then Jehu pursues him. And then at one point he pulls back his arrow and he shoots a deathly blow to King Joram, okay? So he kills Joram. I know, isn't it? It's such a strange story, I know, but you guys, this is gonna really land here. So listen to this. In verse 25 to 26, after he shot Joram, Jehu said to Bidkar, his chariot officer, remember how you and I were riding together in chariots behind Ahab, his father, when the Lord spoke this prophecy against him? The prophecy was, yesterday I saw the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, and I will surely make you pay for it on this plot of ground. Okay, little backstory here. King Ahab, when he was king, he was like this whiny baby king because he wanted this vineyard that didn't belong to him that was next to his palace. So Jezebel gives him this strategy, hey, you're the king, go kill him and just take the plot, just take the vineyard as your own. So he did that. He actually went out, killed Naboth. And it was at this time that Elijah comes to Ahab and says, hey, because you did this, your, your family line will pay for it on this plot of land. Now, Jehu was one of the officers in Ahab's army at the time. So he was behind Ahab when the prophet came and spoke that. In this moment, After Jehu shoots Joram, he remembers the word of the Lord. He tells his chariot officer, do you remember this word of the Lord? And this is what he says. Now then, pick him up and throw him on this plot in accordance with the word of the Lord. 
Okay, I want you to catch this, you guys. Jehu partnered with the word of the Lord by essentially making it come true. A lot of times I think we think that in scripture, everything just happens super organically. Like, oh, they're spontaneously fighting on the right field at the right place at the right time. Sure, that can definitely happen. But in this case, that's not what happened. Over here is where the battle took place. But over there was where the promise needed to be fulfilled. So over here, Jehu's like, we remember what God said about this man, about this family line. So let's partner with the prophetic word by picking up his body, coming over here and dropping it on this plot of land. He partnered with the word of the Lord by fulfilling it, you guys. He honored the prophetic word by making it come to pass. See, this is the thing. When God gives a prophetic word, he doesn't always give us the how. Right? And, and when he does, we follow that. But as far as we know scripturally, um, Jehu did not receive like blueprints. An angel didn't come to him to give him a strategy on how to take down Joram and the evil line. No, he heard the word of the Lord. He believed what God said, and he immediately started to take action. And in this case, again, um, what happens is that sometimes when God gives a vision and what he likes to watch how we run with it. He is not a micromanager, guys. He is a loving father. And so when he releases a prophetic promise, you are his sons and daughters. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You have the very spirit of the living God that's living in him right now living inside of you. So as his sons and daughters, he wants to partner with us. I love this passage in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. See, Jehu immediately stepped into his assignment as king. He pursued and he destroyed the evil line of Ahab and Jezreel. And how did he do it? How did he do it? He just went out and did it. He just went out. Are you guys okay? Just landing. He just went out and did it. He believed God and he obeyed and he made it happen. And this is the thing, guys. It pleased God. Because in 2 Kings 10.30, the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. That is partnership, you guys. God is a loving father. We are his sons and daughters. He wants to partner with us, but he can't partner with a parked car. <laughs> parked car's not moving. And, you know, Jehu wasn't the only one who operated in prophetic partnership. We can look in the New Testament with Jesus. Do you realize that when Jesus was on this earth, every single thing he did from his birth to every step to the cross was intentionally fulfilling every prophecy that was spoken over him? He knew what he was doing, you guys. You know what? 
In Luke 4, 18, when he stepped into the synagogue and he walks over to the chair that was only reserved for the Messiah that nobody had ever sat in before. He walks over to this chair. He sits in this chair. He pulls out the skull of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was part partnering with the prophetic word. He knew this was spoken about him and he intentionally took steps to fulfill it. Are you catching this? Jesus partnered with the prophetic and partnering with prophetic promises, you guys, shows honor to the word and to the one who spoke it. Right? It shows honor to the word and to the one who spoke it. You know, sometimes we think that walking our prophetic promises uh, with God is like walking on a tightrope, right? A lot of times we think with the prophetic that like, I can't move until God tells me the next step to take. Like, and then what happens is we are, again, we're, we're not moving, we're immovable, or we, we, we can only go so far. Guys, God is not light that He's not like that. There are times when he does tell you steps. There are times when he does give you um, the, the, next, the next steps. But if he hasn't, then there are, there are ways that we can come into agreement and begin to partner with the Lord. Come on, God is a green light God. Unless he turns it red. Right? God is a green light God. We need to shift our perspective of who God is and how he operates with us. One of the ways that you can begin to see your prophetic promises mobilized and activated is to begin to honor the word by partnering with it, you guys. By looking through that prophetic word, by asking the Lord, Lord, what is it? What are are some steps that I can take to begin to start mobilizing this prophetic promise? And Daniel's going to come up here like right now, and he's going to share with you (laughs) some practical steps, some practical ways on how we can partner with the Lord. But this is what I want you to catch right now. Yes, there are times when God sovereignly and providentially, he fulfills a promise and the language will be very clear. There are things that only God can do, but there are a lot more things that we can do. Let's not be passive anymore. That dishonors the word of God. We do not want to dishonor his voice. You know, we have a prophet friend who was rejecting this word over his, his life for like two years. And so he finally, because he, he kept getting the same word, but he just dismissed it. So he finally asked a friend, a prophet friend of his, he's like, what do you do when you keep getting the same words over and over? And the prophet friend said, to reject the word of the Lord is as to reject the Lord himself. Let's not reject the Lord or being passive by putting our words on a shelf, okay? We're not going to be presumptuous when God specifically told us to go somewhere and then we go the opposite or he says one thing and we do something opposite like Jonah did. That was being presumptuous. No, we want to be true sons and daughters by partnering with the prophetic promises of God so that we can see his kingdom advance on earth through us. All right? Amen. Isn't that powerful? Why don't you stay up here for a moment? Because we're just, 
Yeah, we're going to end. We're going to pass it over in about 10 minutes here, but we want to just hit you with uh, some of the pieces of biblical partnership, what it looks like. Um, I, I just want to say, guys, um, I have seen so many people so afraid to do the wrong thing that they yeah. do nothing and they die with their promises in their pocket. And I'm, I'm tired of the body of Christ not living up to its fullness, not living up to its potential or its promises. And then we say, well, like, God, I, I waited upon the Lord, and he never did anything. And it's like, you're the one who never did anything. He did everything already. He's waiting for the amen to his yes. See, we have this, we sing that song, you know, all the promises of God are yes and amen, and that's half right. Actually, the Bible says all the promises of, are, of God are yes, and through Christ, we add the amen to the glory of God. In other words, God's yes is circling the planet looking for a landing pad. He's looking for a DNA match. He's looking for someone who sees what he sees, because if you see what he sees, you can have what he has. And so our amen gives God's promise a landing space. And so the first way that we partner with the prophetic promise is actually to come into an agreement with it. Um, not just an agreement like, yeah, I believe it's true, but it's like the agreement of Mary who said, may it be in me, as you have said. Are, are, are you willing to be the answer to your own prayer? Are, are you willing to be the answer to God's promise? Are, are, that's a different message. Okay. <laughs> second thing, and you jump in anytime too, but the second thing is, is alignment. And alignment is what you do um, to personally prepare yourself for what the Lord says. And part of that is what you take off, and part of that is what you put on. You have to take off anything that doesn't look like what God says is true about you. And so you begin to take off the old man in the sense of the old nature's already been crucified with Christ, but the stinking thinking sometimes remains. Sometimes the behaviors of that are not in alignment with who God says that you are. And you begin to take those things off and begin to displace them with who heaven says that you are. And uh, then there's also the piece of alignment is preparation. In other words, if I have words of promise, Bethany often uses this about uh, the nations, that if you're called to the nations and you don't own a passport, okay, there is a preparation step that you could take here that's, you know, pretty obvious and not quite as big a risk as quitting your job and flying to Africa. You know what I mean? It's like you can take baby steps in the direction of your, uh, of your promise and your call. And some of that is personal alignment. I, um, I had a word from the Lord that I would minister to many nations all over the world. And I said, Lord, what should I do? And he said, I won't send you to any nation that you don't pray for. I was like, oh, okay. So I went out and I bought an atlas of the nations, a pictorial atlas of every nation of the world. And every day of my life, I would open up this giant book, and I would look at the maps and the pictures, and I would look at the, the economy and the language and all these different things, and I would say, if I were standing in this nation today, what would I say? What would I pray? What would I prophesy? 
And I would do that. And then the next day, I'd be in another. And some of these nations, Azerbaijan and stuff, I didn't even know existed, you know. And, um, and for every day, I would pray over a different nation till I'd been around the world many times. And then I have to tell you, I, the phone started ringing. The invitations started coming to the degree that I couldn't get everywhere that, that we were invited to in nations around the world, working in over 70 language groups around the world. And, um, and it all started with an alignment with the promise in other words, I can't sit there and go, I don't have any invitations to go to the world, or I don't have a ticket, or I don't have wah, wah, wah. And you're waiting for the stars to align for you to be able to do something. It's like, listen, you need to align. Quit waiting for circumstances to align. You align yourself with the promise to the best of your ability by putting off the things that don't match, but also gaining some of the skills you will need to fulfill the promises that God placed upon your life. And the third uh, position of partnership is actually to appropriate. What does appropriate mean? It means take an appropriate step. Take an appropriate step. I think last time I was here, I I shared a little bit about this story, but one of the promises over my life concerning the nations is that I would change the sound of worship in nations. I had no money. I had no uh, big name. I had no resources, you know, like there was no manual on how to do that. And the only thing I knew to do was to go hold a worship conference in another country. And so I, I, I set that up. By the time I was done, every penny of my money basically was gone except for enough to buy a few guitar strings and I'm like hey it's not much but I could give some guitar strings away when I get hit when I get there and so I get to this conference it was in Fiji there were about 120 worship pastors there and uh, I said hey guys before we start I just want to give you all a set of guitar strings now you have to realize I bought the guitar strings on a sale for a dollar a piece a dollar fifty a piece and um, they normally cost, you know, like anywhere from 10 to $20. But uh, it was all the money I had in the world, to tell you the truth. I put the, seed of, I put the seed in the soil of my destiny. And, um, and so I get to this conference, and the Lord had told me, you're going to change the sound of worship in nations. All I got is these little strings. And I, I give out the strings to this guy, and this and this one man comes up to me. They're all crying. All 120 of them are crying. I'm like, what is going on? Did I do some kind of cultural faux pas here or what's, what's going on? And, and, uh, and they said, no, Dano, this is, this is an island nation. You don't understand. A set of guitar strings in this country costs three months' wages. And uh, because of the taxes and the import and how much time it takes to get here, they said, there's not a guy in this room that could afford a set of guitar strings. They said, this is a very big gift. So I'm like, oh, wow. Not for me, but for you. That's awesome. You know, it was a buck 50 for me, you know. And then this guy came up to me. He's wearing the traditional Sulu man skirt. He's, he's, he's barefoot. Um, he's got the Bula shirt on, and he comes up to me. He's got a guitar around his neck that has three strings on it. Now, guitars are supposed to have six strings. And uh, some of the tuners are even broken off, and he's welded on pennies in their place so he could tune his guitar. Tears streaming down his face, and he's holding those strings in his hand, and he goes, Dano, you don't understand. He said, I come from an island of only 400 people. 
He said, this is the only musical instrument on my entire island. And when you gave me these strings, this is what he said. You changed the sound of worship on my island. I was like, what did you say? What did you say? And he said it again. And I realized that my little tiny act of obedience, like God didn't say, go buy guitar strings. A voice from heaven came, go buy guitar strings. No, I had this much money, and this seemed like a good thing to do. And I bought those, and I took them with me, and that began the fulfillment of a word where now, the last seven years, we've had somebody on the red carpet as the number one artist in their nation every single year for the last seven years. Our Telugu band has led 1.2 million people to Jesus. And it started with a $1.50 and a set of guitar strings. And what am I, what am I saying with that? I, I, I'm saying you can't afford to be passive with your word. You can't afford to be so afraid of being presumptuous. I'm so afraid of doing the wrong thing that I just do nothing. You will die with your dream in your pocket. You will die with your anointing in your bones and other people will not receive the benefit of it because you chose to operate in fear rather than in faith. We cannot be a prophetic community by just giving words to each other and hoping they come true. We are not a wishing well, people. We are a people of faith. We are a people who are sons and daughters of heaven in partnership with the very voice of God himself. And he's calling us to a level of accountability with our promises that is something different. And I just want to say today, we've kind of been lied to and we kind of, by our traditions. And we've kind of been robbed by our fear of, I don't want to get side outside of the will of God. And you know what? I love the reverence and the desire to stay aligned with Jesus. But I'm telling you that fear cannot be your operating system. God is looking for a people of faith. And not just people who believe, but people who act according to their beliefs. And God is calling us today. Listen, if you have a sovereign promise, then agree and stay out of the way. But if... but Many promises, as Bethany said, actually require our partnership of agreement, alignment, and appropriation. And I, I want to say today that if you realize that I have been operating in a place of fear, fear of presumption, fear of stepping out, or I've been acting in a wrong level of passivity, like I've been waiting on this thing to come true or just hoping that it would happen, I, I realize today that I need to take a more proactive step of faith. I need to come into a different type of alignment with my promise, and I need to take at least baby steps of faith toward the promise of the Lord. You know what? If that's you, I'm going to ask you to make a bold step right now. Like, this is, this is kind of weird for what we're doing, but, um, but join me in this weird thing. Like, take, take a stand right now. Like, if fear or if a wrong sense of waiting or uh, something like that has been holding you back from aligning and appropriating yeah. the promise of God in your life, would you just stand up yeah. with me I'm right now? I'm just going to add even, like, ignorance. Like, you just didn't know. 
You yeah. didn't know that there was more that you needed to do, but now you are coming into that revelation. We want you to stand to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, as we're taking a stand, we're already moving. Yeah. Come as on. Bethany said, like, God's not partnering with a parked car. Right. God is partnering with those moving vehicles and, and these living stones that are being built together. And so, Father, I thank you that right now, even this step of standing together is a level of agreement and alignment to another, uh, to another place. Lord, that there is even... There's such an angelic flutter in this room right now as angels that were waiting for you to align are actually being commissioned to assist and to help to fulfill promises. And so, Father, right now, just as equipping prophets in this room, we release grace for you to test prophetic words, to judge prophetic words. We also release a faith to activate and to partner with heaven to see promises filled, fulfilled. And I speak a spirit of acceleration in this room. And I just want to invite everyone to stand right now because Dano, as he was sharing about the about the cloud of God's yes over all of us. There is a cloud, an ozone layer of promises over every single one of us. And they will not find a landing place until we step into agreement and we add our amen. Amen means let it be so. So right now, Father, right now, God, we just say amen to every promise that you have spoken over us. And I want you guys to even, if you come into agreement, I want you to say amen amen on the count of three, okay? So Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good father, that you love your sons and daughters. Lord God, that there is so much more that you want to show us, Lord God, but we must steward what you've already given us. So Father, right now, we come into agreement with every promise that you have spoken. And by adding our amen, Lord, we're pulling those promises down from heaven into our reality into ourselves, just like Mary did. And so, Lord, as we say amen, I just pray there would be a release and an impartation of the promises that they be reawakened. Father, there would be new promises released, Father God, so that your kingdom can advance in glory. In Jesus' name, one, two, three, amen. Come on, can we just thank the Lord, you guys, for all he's doing right now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.